Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, I'm Grant Wall. Welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. This is our Women's World Cup podcast with me and Sports Illustrated's Lakin Littman. We'll be publishing podcast episodes after every U.S. game during the tournament. I'll also be interviewing my Fox Sports colleague Alex Curry about her role being embedded with the U.S. women's national team. While we've got you, make sure to check out our podcast series, Throwback, on the origin stories of the U.S. women's national team and the FIFA Women's World Cup. That's throwback. You won't regret it. Onward. Okay, let's bring in Laken Littman after USA 2, Sweden 0 in Game 3 of the Women's World Cup. Laken, how are you? I'm good, Grant. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm actually in the top row of the stadium in Louvre, and they are mowing the fields right now. So if you hear a little bit of that, that's what that is. Um... I would have thought they'd have really fancy lawnmowers, but it's actually like the lawnmowers I had as a kid that I would mow people's yards with. Oh, that's um, kind of disappointing. I also would have thought in France they would have had fancier <laughs> lawnmowers than we have. <laughs> but um, the U.S. gets some revenge on Sweden, the team that eliminated the U.S. in the 2016 Olympic quarterfinals. Um Do you think, were you thinking of that very much tonight, or are you thinking more about other stuff? Well, initially heading into this game, I was thinking revenge. But then when I saw the way that Sweden came out, um, using kind of an experimental experimental lineup, a um, couple of their, at least on the back line too, they had three new starters. It seemed like they were just of the mind, well, we're advancing no matter what. We're going to go with that. Whereas the U.S., aside from Julie Ertz, um, being just kind of a precautionary um sitting on the bench uh, bench tonight the uh, Jill Ellis went full force with her normal starters and that's what I would have expected especially after you know she made seven changes against Chile in the last game so it seemed like heading into this game lots of U.S. players were talking about yeah we remember being ousted in the quarterfinal and obviously they were coming to win the group and you know they took care of business that's what they did um i thought it could have been more than two goals um but you know you you just got to do what you got to do to to win the group and and get into the into the knockout stage and it seemed like the u.s wanted to win maybe just more than sweden they just wanted to just get on to the next round is that kind of how you felt or it was pretty interesting you mentioned the seven changes in the sweden lineup and their coach after the game tonight said that uh 
he's okay with where they are on the easier side of the bracket. So, you know, nobody's ever going to throw a game or try and do that. But the way a coach can obviously influence how much they're going, his team is going for it, is by how many starters they choose to use. And clearly Sweden didn't do that tonight. Um, and a lot of the U.S. players said after the game, uh, it's not in our DNA to not go 100%. And I totally get that. Uh, the U.S. is the world champions. Yes, they're on a collision course with France for the quarterfinals. They'll have to get by Spain first. But, um, you know, I, I think they will get by Spain unless something very surprising happens. And then that sets up the biggest quarterfinal we've ever seen in a Women's World Cup, potentially. Uh, France, by the way, is going to have to get past Brazil, which is certainly capable of beating France. So I think France is a better team. Um, uh, a couple other things that Jalelis just said to us in the press conference, I asked her about taking off Alex Morgan after 45 minutes, why, and she said that it was precautionary because Morgan had gotten a knock in the first half. Um, she compared it, Ellis, to the same precautionary stance of not playing Julie Ertz tonight, and Ertz told me she'll be ready uh, for the Spain game. I'm sure Alex Morgan will be, even though she didn't talk to reporters. She walked on through the mix zone after the game, suggesting that, who, who knows, maybe either she's upset that she came off at halftime, uh, couldn't add to her goal-scoring total, who knows. But uh, one other thing that stood out about this game, I think, is this is the third straight clean sheet the U.S. has had in this tournament and obviously came against a much you know, better opponent than the first two opponents defensively are you feeling pretty good about where the U.S. is right now mm, I don't know what you asked Crystal done that question I feel like she had <laughs> there were a couple of breakdowns on her side and I thought it was kind of interesting you know we've talked so much about depth along the back line and one of the biggest depth questions actually I felt heading into this tournament was what happens if you don't have Julie Ertz out there if she's injured right. or you know suspension whatever and then tonight we found out what happens it's you move you move around Lindsay Horan and Samantha Mewis um, and it was just kind of interesting I mean obviously in this game it there it wasn't su her her absence was not super impactful but we'll be watching of course to see how she is moving forward because you know, if the U.S. is on a collision course to meet with France, she needs to be her full physical dominating self in the central midfield. Um, the, U the U.S. just can't be without her. And, I mean, that goes, of course, back to the first game where the U.S. didn't have Becky Sauerbrunn. Of course, she's been back since. But the depth question, I feel like, is being tested early. And it hasn't mattered that much. But it'll be interesting to see what that's like moving forward, especially when you see a few breakdowns here and there. Yeah, I think Haran did a, a good job filling yeah. in for Ertz in, in that defensive midfielder position. Obviously, Haran got the early goal, which I think was a good thing for the U.S., obviously, to uh, to put them on the front foot from the start. I don't know if against the best teams in the world that Haran is a great fill-in for Julie Ertz in that spot. And so I think there's going to be some questions about that. Uh, Alyssa Nair got some more action tonight than she got in the first couple games and uh, did fine from my perspective. But you're right about targeting Crystal Dunn. We did sort of see that in this game where especially in the first half, it seemed like Sweden, whenever they got the opportunity, really did try and take it down the, their right attacking side and, and try to uh, attack Crystal Dunn. 
Yeah, and they were nearly successful on a few of those. But, of course, we saw Alyssa Nair, as you said, um, tested and succeed. She had one almost diving save. She punched it out where um, I think they were saying on the Fox Fox uh, set at halftime that she probably could have uh, caught the ball instead of punching it out. But, you know, again, we'll see how that goes moving forward um, as the competition gets tougher. Yeah, um, really, I don't know if there's a ton more to say about this U.S. team uh, right now. We'll obviously have a chance again after the Spain game. They did play Spain earlier in the year, uh, one nothing victory in Spain for the U.S. on a Kristen Press goal. Uh, I think we mentioned the last time we talked that I've, I've been sort of disappointed with Spain in this tournament to this point. I know they're capable of playing better than they have, um, but based on what we've seen so far, I just... I don't see Spain giving the U.S. too much trouble um, in this game. But um, anything else on on your mind about the U.S. team? No, I mean I, I think this kind of this team doesn't seem like they would be a group that would look past an opponent by any means. Right. But they're one game between you know facing France, which is all we've heard before the World Cup even started. Beat Spain. France beats Brazil we finally get that quarterfinal in Paris that we've all been talking about and also I think it's just kind of worth mentioning to people who may not be aware if the U.S. makes it past Spain which they are supposed to that would mean that you could they could potentially play France England and then Germany which are the fourth, third, and second ranked teams in the world by FIFA. <laughs> so in order to win the World Cup, that's that's their path. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got a, a situation here where the knockout rounds are going to be potentially the hardest knockout rounds we've ever seen for the U.S. in a Women's World Cup after what has been the easiest uh, group stage ever yep. in a World Cup for the U.S. I, I do think there's an interesting nugget to point out here in the sense that Spain is going to have had a lot more rest time than uh, the U.S. Uh, three more days of rest Ooh, than the lot. U.S., which is kind of a, a weird quirk of of scheduling. But a um, uh, couple other things. Let's talk about the wider tournament here. Um, obviously, the round of 16 matchups are set. We'll get to those in one second. But... Uh, how do we feel about all these penalty retakes that we're seeing? Uh, it's been several now, including at the end of that insane uh, Argentina-Scotland game that ended up 3-3. I am not liking these. I mean, <laughs> it must really just... I, can you imagine being the goalkeeper? You save a PK, which is just, you know, one of the toughest things to do in, on this on this stage also and then you made a minor error and you have to do it again and then you know the kicker converts the the shot and it's just like are you kidding because and I was reading more about this VAR um, situation and there's been there was a rule change six days before before the game the the world cup began and it just seems like a total communication error with the with the teams and the coaches and the players um about just exactly what they will be enforcing with with penalty kicks and var and that's we saw yesterday there was a report that the premier league is not going to be um enforcing um this as intensely as as they have been in the world cup which just shows you that 
this is basically like a beta test and that's not fair at all for the women playing in this tournament. I totally agree with you. And I, I think what's happened here, um, I, I find it fascinating that the Premier League can just decide that the VAR is not going to govern where goalkeepers are on the line, that they're going to leave that with the officials on the field. Uh, and so my question is, why can't FIFA decide to do that starting with the knockout rounds? Yeah. Because I, I, I firmly believe we're looking at a situation where a goalkeeper in a penalty shootout could get a red card by being three inches off the line on two occasions. And that's a clown show. We don't want clown shows in the World Cup. And I also am bothered that this is the first test event ever in women's soccer for VAR, including with uh, the referees on the field and for the players not to have had that experience before for the referees on the field not to have had the experience before this tournament makes it seem like um, they should have had some previous test situation where they could get the kinks out um, and I think because we've seen so many instances now of the retakes taking place you get an idea of how difficult it really is for goalkeepers to after years and years of playing a certain way and having a referee being in your face like pointing to the line like right before you get you have the penalty taken even then they can't do it and so it's it's just a crazy situation i hope we don't see a lot of these retakes but i think we will moving forward still um let's look at the round of 16 matchups um and uh, those are out now uh, I'm going to go ahead and read through them really quickly here. Um, if you give me one second, because I posted them on my Twitter. Um, let me see. Okay, here we go. Uh, Norway against Australia. England versus Cameroon. France versus Brazil. Spain versus United States. In the other half of the bracket, we've got... Italy, China, Netherlands, Japan, Germany, Nigeria, and Sweden, Canada. So looking at those, my first question for you would be, let's pick an upset. What's your biggest <laughs> upset that you see coming out of the round of 16 games? I have two choices, and they are both of the con African countries, <laughs> potentially. I think one of them is going to surprise us, and that would be Cameroon over England, potentially, Ooh. or... I'm going to say it, Nigeria over Germany, wow. <laughs> which I realize is, is pretty bold. But I just think both of these teams have been playing with so much passion and especially the performance that Nigeria gave against France. They needed mm -hmm. a penalty retake. The French needed a penalty retake in order to win one nothing. And granted, Germany has just been blowing by opponents and um, they seem a little bit more dominant despite losing their best player um, in uh, Jennifer Morozin. But, you know, I feel like you never know. You never know what could happen. One of these powerhouses could overlook a lesser team, play down to them, or on the flip side, um, one of these, uh, maybe Cameroon or, or Nigeria, um, just plays out of their minds. And I have not been that impressed with England yet. They don't look like the team that won the She Believes Cup earlier this year. And, um, I mean, they didn't have as, as tough of a group as some of the others. But I don't know. I'm, I'm very interested to see if 
one of these teams can make it through to the quarterfinals. That's bold. I'm impressed. (laughs) Cameroon got in with an injury time goal uh, against New Zealand. Otherwise, they would have been out. Nigeria was the last team to get in when Chile dramatically hit the crossbar on a penalty in the 86th minute against Thailand. So Nigeria survives, which I think is good karma as well, because I thought they had gotten jobbed by the penalty retakes. Um, One interesting thing to point out here, every single one of these games in the round of 16 is a European team against a non-European team. Mm -hmm. So it's really going to be a referendum on, on, I think, the European teams and how big of an influence they're going to have. For me, I'm not going to be as bold as you are in picking (laughs) an upset, but I am going to pick Norway over Australia, which... Um, I think Australia has been really up and down in this tournament. And I think Norway is a team that's been better than I expected. Uh, and so I, I'm going to go with Norway over Australia. Um, also, what is the most compelling round of 16 game in your mind? Definitely Brazil against France. I mean, just the fact that it was Group C that I thought was just the most competitive. And you had Brazil finishing third. You had Italy finishing first, then Australia, and then Brazil, and then Brazil drew France um, in the in the round of 16. And I just think, you know, we we had we came into this World Cup thinking, oh, this isn't that good of a Brazil team. Marta was even critical, but Marta in the last game just set a World Cup scoring record. Cristiani has four goals so far this tournament, and I just feel like they are playing much better than anybody gave them credit for, um, especially since their loss to Australia. And, um, you know, they're playing against the host country in France, who I feel like hasn't been hasn't looked as dominant since their opening win against South Korea. They only beat Nigeria one one nil um, again after we said, you know, after the penalty re-kick. Um, and I just think this game could be really interesting. And I believe it's on Sunday. So that's a good time for everybody to tune in. And I just think, you know, it's too too two powerhouse um, teams playing against each other. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that game. I'm going to say Netherlands-Japan because I think uh, both those teams are going to attack in different ways. And I think Netherlands is probably going to come out of that one, but obviously Japan's made the last two finals. So um, I think that's a very good round of 16 matchup. And then to wrap up, Who's going to win the golden boot? We got uh, Alex Morgan and Sam Kerr both on five goals, even though Alex Morgan hasn't scored since the first game. Yeah, Alex Morgan is looking, I mean, obviously she didn't play against Chile, and then today she was t- she didn't play in the second half after getting a little banged up. So right now I have Sam Kerr. She scored all four goals, for all four of Australia's goals uh, yesterday in a easy 4-1 to win over Jamaica. And... Um, helped Australia avoid playing, uh, uh, yeah, France in the round of 16. So that was helpful. And with her four goals, she became the first Australian to score a hat trick in the Senior World Cup. So um, I think I saw afterwards also she said she didn't even realize how important all of her goals were in, in the grand scheme of goal differential. So anyway, I think that she has more in her. Why wasn't she aware? That's crazy. Um, <laughs> I guess she didn't realize. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that was actually a really big goal for them to not finish third in the group. But um, I'm going to say Alex Morgan because I think her team's going to last longer in this tournament than Australia will. Um, 
And I also have a feeling that knowing Alex Morgan, she's going to be pretty salty about the fact that she hasn't scored in the last two games and didn't even get a chance to score in the second game. So uh, I think she's going to come ready to play. Uh, not that she doesn't normally, but even more so, I think, um, against Spain. And uh, I think I think she's going to find a way to do it. I think she wants to find the back of the net against a non-Thailand team. <laughs> um Always a good discussion with you, Lakin. Let's do it again after the Spain game. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, Grant. Big thanks to Lakin Littman. Next up is my interview with Alex Curry, the embedded U.S. women's national team reporter for Fox Sports. My friend Alex Curry from Fox Sports. Alex, thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm excited to talk to you. I've just gotten to know you on this uh, World Cup mm -hmm. uh, trip here, and I've followed your work for a while. Um, and wanted to get a sense of what has it been like for you to do soccer? It's a full circle dream come true for me. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up playing since I was five years old, club, high school, club and college, and I've covered almost every single sport mm -hmm. since 2010, except for soccer. Really? And this past year was the first time Fox brought me in, finally got to do soccer, and it is just, it's been incredible. I mean, it's really cool because, like, you've put in a lot of time with yeah. this team. This didn't just start at the World no. Cup. So how much time did you put in? Um, I started with qualifiers. Mm -hmm. So I covered qualifiers, every friendly leading up, the She Believes, anytime they were close and I could, you know, get some FaceTime, mm -hmm. I even flew out for their press day in Tampa just to be there for a day so mm. they could get familiar with me. Um, so it has been a pretty awesome journey to be along with this group. What have you learned about covering this U.S. team? What's it like? Uh, oh, I mean, you're dealing with the best women in the world. Mm -hmm. And the U.S., as we've heard them say, all 23 players are starters. Like, okay. they are absolutely incredible. And these women put in so much time mentally and physically and just seeing the dedication their passion and everything that goes into making their dream come true to be here is just i i feel very fortunate to have a front row seat of that yeah so what's it like take us through a little bit on a game day and then a non-game day here at this world cup okay. like what you're doing uh, well, it depends how many matches are on Fox that day because mm -hmm. we have pregame shows. So I have to give a um, a team report mm -hmm. every pregame, like mm -hmm. leading up to their game. So let's say the first match when we were in Ronce, I put a report together, usually starting with just a schedule. Like, what did they do last night, today? What are they looking ahead to? Um, that'll be my first hit. And then closer to the stadium, like around two or three, do another hit, more about what their focus is, what they're looking to do. And then once I get to the stadium, I'll get, I get to go into the locker room. Mm -hmm. I get to do a, a report from inside the locker room. Then I get Coach Jill Ellis mm -hmm. off of the bus for an interview. And then I go down to the pitch and I get to do a pregame pitch report mm -hmm. and then during the broadcast I'm pitching stories throughout the entire broadcast and then after um, the match ends I do the the player of the match mm -hmm. I get Jill Ellis and then rush immediately inside to 
I, I don't know if it's like the Flash or one of those interview places, yeah. and they have four to five players lined up, uh, ready for me to just do like quick bullet interviews with all the players. Okay. And then after that, we go back on the field because now I have to wrap around one of the sounds to go to Fox Soccer tonight, okay. and then all the Fox. Uh, outlets throughout the United States. Oh, wow. So I'll go do two more hits after the game for them. So what have you learned is a a helpful key to the questions that you want to ask like in a in, whether it's like a post game situation yeah. is there any particular stuff that t- you found tends to get this doesn't maybe just soccer but other yeah. things other sports you work in like is there anything that tends to produce better answers? A lot of players in all sports, don't really like talking about themselves okay. too much. It's hard to get. There's certain players you can, like Carly. I can ask her about it, <laughs> but that. she didn't like talking about the record. The really? record doesn't matter, but she loves the fact that she was able to contribute because that's what six she's straight, doing. Yeah, six straight World yes. Cup games. Interesting. Um, but the fact that she was able to score two that night and help the team win—that's what she wanted to focus on. So okay. usually, I make a make it about the team performance, okay. whatever the the story was of the game. So yeah. last match, it's the fact that they had a completely different lineup, but still the same dominating performance, and just kind of talking about the depth of the team. And then obviously, um, Chile's goalkeeper, mm-hmm. which was insane, um, and it's just kind of finding the different themes that are happening throughout the game. So. Okay. Clean sheets in both matches. Right. Uh, almost every player getting on the field, on the pitch, in just two matches. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, just the, the mentality of this team and how close they are. So it's it's focusing on that and then kind of looking ahead as well. Okay. And baseball is sort of your main thing, right? Right now it is. Typically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, mean, how much of your, like, how many games do you do, like, baseball games in a year? Um, it depends. Usually it's all of the home games mm-hmm. for, the Angels. for the Angels. Yeah. So they were, they were kind to give me five weeks off nice. to come here. And then after this, I'll land back home on the all-star game, have two days and then jump right back into three months of baseball. No vacation. No. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, 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 I'm no, taking no. A vacation. Oh, you are a lucky duck. <laughs> Not me. That's the thing I've noticed with, uh, with, with TV is yeah. like just the, the amount that's a skill in some ways, I think, just the ability to do this day after day after day mm-hmm. and keep your energy up. How do you do that? Just like Jill Ellis says about the players, you have to physically and mentally be healthy. It's it's the same on this side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it's getting a good night's sleep, eating well, making sure I get my workout in, and then being prepared and not saving everything to the last minute and just... I mean, I've been with this team since October. Yeah. Um, I know these players. So it's managing your time properly yeah. and just keeping a positive mindset and attitude and just knowing you come into this knowing it's going to be every day. But it's so exciting and it's mm-hmm. so cool to be a part of that. You just you kind of forget that you're working because mm-hmm. you just enjoy what you do so much. You're just hanging out, having conversations with these players. I mean, that's what I'm doing. I'm showing up to the hotel. I'm talking to two players a day and I'm getting to have serious and fun conversations with them. And then I get to share their message with the world. So as much as it is working every day, mm-hmm. it's, I enjoy it so much that it doesn't really feel like work all the time. Match days feel like a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, here's something that happens to me on a match day is yeah. even as a writer mostly yeah. I get 
the adrenaline going even during and then after a game as I'm riding. And oh, then, yeah. like, even though I try to get a decent amount of sleep most days, it's actually hard for me on a, on a game night. Yeah. Is it for you, too? I don't go to bed till like, 2 or 3 in the morning yeah. on game nights because you're still after. Like, you, you feel that, uh, that, that energy and that emotion, too. And then you're just, whoo, you are up and you're excited. <laughs> you get back to the hotel and you're like, well, I'm not sleeping right now. And the night before, I can't go to sleep until I prepare all of my stories. So uh, sometimes oh, wow. I'm up the night before, usually until 2 or 3 yeah. a.m. as well. So that's why I think match day is probably it's the one day that really feels like mm-hmm like work because yeah. there is so much that goes into that day interesting yeah um and if we compare and contrast okay uh the u.s women's national team covering them to what you do with baseball what's similar what's different <laughs> a lot <laughs> um baseball's a lot longer yeah true <laughs> every day um i just the style of the game, how how into it the fans are at every single moment here. And this mm-hmm. you're on a world stage. Yeah. Nothing really compares to that unless you're at the Olympics or something of that caliber mm-hmm. um, or a World Series or the Super Bowl. Um, I mean, this is what the sport dreams of. All, all the the athletes, the writers, yeah. the journalists. This is this is the dream. This is the best of the best playing the best of the best uh, with the world watching and coming together and, and you get to be a part of it. So that is, uh, it's something you have to experience. Like I, I have goosebumps right now even just thinking about it and talking about it. I mean, have you thought about, I mean, you obviously don't want to jinx anything here, but like this is the defending champion recovering yeah. and they have a decent chance of, getting to the final and winning this yeah. thing. Have you thought about what that might be like? Um, just like the players say, try to take this, you know, one game at a time. Because <laughs> you can't get too far ahead of yourself. Anything can happen. Yeah. I mean, soccer games can be crazy. I, I believe they will get there. Um, but it's... We're not even at a, I mean, they're going to the knockout stage. But we still have... We're recording this the day before the Sweden game. Yes. Okay. So I'm not sure when this is coming out, but there is still so much soccer to be played. Yeah. So it's, yeah, trying not to get too to that point yet. But of course, you always think about it and you just... I've been a part of some pretty incredible sports moments. Such as? Um, when the Kings won the Stanley Cup. Okay. I was a reporter for them and nice. I was on the ice a part of their celebrations and parades um with mike trout hitting for the cycle getting to interview him after when the angels won the al west just uh cool big exciting moments albert pujols hitting a 600th home run in a grand slam style yeah. like it was there's there's been some cool moments and i'm not saying anything is going to compare to what this is but it's really special to not only be there but then be a part of it and share the team and the players emotion with the fans because that's kind of what I'm there I'm like the liaison between the players and the fans and this is their their look into their life and their emotion and and their hard work and everything that goes into how they got here I mean this is what you work your whole life for yeah it's it's pretty exciting as we wrap up here I, I know we have some listeners who are students who want to do what you do yeah and so uh, would it be possible to share sort of how you got to do what you do? There is no right path <laughs> to yeah. get 
to where I am. And I, and I try to put that across to everybody. I played club soccer in college. I also started working behind the scenes my freshman year. So every summer, winter, spring break, I was up in LA working behind the scenes as a production assistant for a company that put on all the big events in LA. Okay. From there, I got picked up my junior year to be on the championship gaming series on the talent side when I was working as a stage manager just happened to be friendly and and meet someone so that was my first on camera then my senior year I got an internship at Fuel TV which is now Fox Sports 2 Mm -hmm. Um, was an intern there kind of you know hustled worked my way up there got an opportunity Um, I was obviously practicing every day and training every day and got the opportunity to did well in that opportunity Um, got on air with Fuel TV, then I went to a hosting academy mm-hmm. um, just to kind of tune up my skills because I didn't do broadcasting in college. Mm-hmm. Um, performed in a hosting showcase, got picked up by E News, and huh. two weeks later was hosting, filling in on E News Now. Okay. Um, after that, <laughs> it's a really weird story. That's wild. Um, I know. I was also bartending at the time, okay. living at my parents to pay to go to the hosting academy put my reel together go on auditions mm-hmm. during the day and just i was also field pa on last call with carson daly at that time i was also <laughs> um the talent manager for espn's x games at the time and taking i was still taking any production you were work. grinding i was grinding i was hustling any wow. work that i could yes you can i be there yes let me go anyone i would meet i was just give me a shot um and while I was bartending, I actually met a Fox Sports producer and pitched him a show idea about the incredible standouts in Major League Soccer. Huh. And Omar Gonzalez had just won, I think it was either Rookie of the Year or Defensive Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. And he was a friend of mine. And I pitched the show idea and the producer was like, OK, write me a script. Mm-hmm. So I did. Never wrote, like, never written a script before. Called my friend who was a manager. I was like, send me every script that you have. <laughs> I need to figure out how to do this. Um, and... It was when David Beckham was on the Galaxy with them. So mm-hmm. there was like that factor to it. I somehow figured out how to get Omar to throw out the first pitch at Dodger Stadium. <laughs> and we put this whole day and script together and the producer loved it and went, OK, I'll uh, I'll shoot this pilot for free. Huh. Amazing. Day after, he ended up inviting me to be his host um, for the World University Games in China okay. for Fox College Sports. Huh. So quit my bartending job. Went to China for a month. Wow. Came back. And then that's when Fox Sports West um, mm-hmm. kind of caught wind. Um, they brought me on for Angels, just mm-hmm. the weekly magazine show. And then um, I did volleyball at that time. I did the Pro Beach Volleyball Series while the AVP was down on NBC. Mm-hmm. Then I did Tailgate 48 on Big Ten Network. And I did the Red Bull Signature Series on NBC all in 2012. And everything just kind of started to build there yeah and then from there fox just kept then i got you know angels sideline king sideline hosting and then um fs1 brought me in to fill in on undisputed and use me on some college football games and then i think i started to get a a familiar face there and Mm. that's kind of i think how my name got brought up in the yeah the u.s women's soccer opportunity and 
Yeah, there, and here we are at the and World here Cup. Here we are. We, I, so, <laughs> I, I should say, as we're doing this conversation, we're the only people basically inside so cool. the stadium in Luab yeah. the day before USA Sweden. It's a beautiful stadium. It's pretty new. It's all blue. It, yeah, it kind of looks like a blue bubble. And it's a really yeah. cool feeling being kind of here right now in just this empty field, um, which is nice. Now, there is a rumor uh, among people those of us who work for Fox, that you won a national club championship in, in college. Is this true? It is, yeah. I um, I tried out for the club soccer team my sophomore year, um, and we were kind of like the bad news bears. And we went on to win the national championship my sophomore year. This is San Diego State. This is San Diego State. Yeah. Club, club team. Um, yeah, and I just, it was, it was a pretty incredible turn of events. Nice. Yeah, it I was. Like it. An exciting sophomore year. <laughs> Very cool. Well, Alex yeah. Curry, it's been a pleasure to work with you here and to interview you. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Lake and Littman and Alex Curry, as well as producer Brandon Nix and everyone at Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Remember to check out Throwback, my podcast series on the origins of the U.S. Women's National Team and the FIFA Women's World Cup. See you next time.